0: Philippians chapter 4 Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God think on these these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the lord of peace will be with you i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Uh, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and and, uh, uh, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father to be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Paul was really, well, we might say waxing lyrical, wasn't he? He was really excited to be able to write to the Philippian church. Forty thousand. Uh, baseball fans were on hand in the Oklahoma Stadium when Ricky Henderson tied Louis uh, Brock's career record. According to a baseball magazine, Lou had left baseball in 1979, had followed Henderson's career, and was excited about his success. Realizing that Ricky would soon set a new record, Brock said, I'll be there. Do you think I'm going to miss it now? Ricky did in 12 years what took me 19. He's amazing. It's good to rejoice in other people's successes and cheer them on, isn't it? It's good, but it's very easy to drag people down, but it's it's so encouraging, so uplifting and so profitable if we do the opposite and lift people up and encourage encourage them and rejoice in their successes. This is what Paul was doing. In this Bible passage, Paul is cheering on the Philippian church in their generous service of the Lord. Where does such joy come from? Rejoicing is certainly needed in our society today and certainly in one's personal life. Rejoicing is a heart of joy expressed. It is the heart of joy expressed. Paul was in jail. Remember this. Paul was in jail in Rome when writing this letter. Now, of course, you've heard probably a bit, a fair bit, you've been on the Christian road for some time, so you will know well that the jail that Paul was in was not like the holiday homes that a lot of our prisoners are put in these days. Uh, they're a lot, uh, lot harsher in those days, and they were often chained to the wall. It's just a cement wall. They were chained to that wall, a rock wall, uh, or chained to the soldiers so that they could hardly even move around. So Paul was in jail when he was writing this letter. Isn't it an amazing thing? Just think of that. In that in that horrible situation Paul was in, he was able to write those joyous words. Now what situation comes your way that takes away the joyous words? That's a good, a good challenge for us these days, isn't it? So Paul was in, in jail in Rome when writing this letter. He had been there for quite some time and his consistency in faith and joyfulness had proven to advance the gospel. If you want to turn to verse 12 and verse 14, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. So what he was really saying there is that even if you had not have contributed to my needs, I was still okay because God was with me. But he goes on and he compliments them from doing what God had obviously put on their hearts to do. So where does this foundational joy come from that enables us to rejoice in the face of trials? Well, if you went over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 to 23, you will read what? The fruit of the Spirit, that's right. And I've told you before that uh, the fruit of the Spirit, even though it's often Spoken of as nine fruits of the Spirit, it's not true. It's uh, one fruit of the Spirit and it's expressed in nine different ways. The fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself. And He expresses Himself in these nine different ways. Let me read them to you love, joy. Now, there we are. There it is. Joy. Hello. (laughs) Peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Now, what does that mean, against such there is no law? Well, you know, that black stuff out there is bitumen and if you're travelling down that road at 50 kilometres an hour, you're okay. But there is a law which says you're not allowed to go over 50 kilometres an hour. So there is a law against it, right? Right. All of these things here, there is no law against any of them. So you cannot be charged with a sin or a crime or or anything because you are expressing the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control, against such there is no law. These states of being are a result of the inner presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And that is why they are called the fruit of the Spirit of God. Well, joy. Joy is present in the fruit of the Spirit, as we've just read. Joy is an exhilarating emotion of pleasure. It need not be exuberant to be deep and real. And that's a puzzle for some people. If a a person is quiet and maybe appear to be a little bit somber, that doesn't necessarily mean that the joy of the Lord has escaped them. You see, it uh, need not be exuberant to be deep and very real. The experience may come with an increase of some good, that we desire, maybe uh, maybe wealth or an education certificate or some other thing that we've been hoping for, and it has come our way, and uh, the joyfulness uh, fills our heart, and we're very thankful. And um, <clears throat> it may occur with the discovery of a higher value, as when we find the kindness that sorry that kindness brings more satisfaction than selfishness. And when we express a kindness to somebody, sometimes they're a bit surprised and they don't quite know how to respond, but we sense that they are being uplifted. And and this is a good thing. This is a good thing. So we discover that there is a higher value. And, of course, when a person is born again, there is a great value that they discover there that brings a great deal of joyfulness and rejoicing in their hearts. Uh, When I was born again, I was just so thrilled to think, wow, I didn't even know that I was lost. And I discovered that I was lost and that Christ had found me. And the rejoicing that was in my heart was uh, uh, just amazed me for ages. The Bible affirms man's inherent privilege to enjoy things like nature. Who doesn't like nature? Lovely trees and flowers and, and things. And, and sometimes I think of standing on top of a very high mountain, looking out over a, a lovely valley. Uh, we, there are probably a lot more of those in uh, Europe than what we find in Australia. Uh, when we look out over some of our value, uh, valleys, there's probably a lot of brown grass and stuff like that. But when when you look out over the uh, the valleys in, in some of the European countries, lush green, and it's, and it's beautiful. So the Bible affirms that there is this inherent privilege to enjoy things of goodness, nature, music, and social activities. Who doesn't like a good social activity? It's good, isn't it? It's, it's encouraging uh, because God has made us to mix with each other. Um, you might find this a little strange, but before sin came into this world, God said that there was something that was bad. You know what that was? Yeah. It is not good that man be alone. So therefore it was bad that he was lonely and he brought Eve, he created Eve and brought Eve to him. An amazing thing, isn't it? He has made us to be interactive with one another. So, uh, and these, uh, these natural joys that God has built within us are purified and intensified by the right relationship with God. a lot of those joyful experiences I experienced those before I was a Christian, and I had thought I had lots of fun and so on. But when I'd become a Christian, those joyful experiences took upon themselves a very different nature. The New Testament recognizes that rejoicing as one of God is one of God's gifts. Jesus' birth was a source of great joy. You remember when the angels came and spoke to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of Jesus and uh, the term great joy was used in Luke chapter 2 if you want to see that sometime. Joy is also one of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus explained the goal of his ministry that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And that's an astonishing thought, isn't it? I mean, think about your joy being full. That's what he wants for you. Um, God is not, as I say, a killjoy. He is not a killjoy because he wants your joyfulness to be full and overflowing that other people might know the greatness of God joy is deeply linked with the gospel we spoke last week about the gospel and and what it is and uh, we were reminded that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just tied to the cross it begins there and it goes right out into our whole lives in every aspect of our lives it it uh it invades if you like to put it that way every relationship in our lives. So joy is deeply linked with the gospel because Jesus said that uh, he wants us to have his joy and that our joy might be full. Liberation from sin, recovery from lostness, and reconciliation with God move the spirit of praise in our hearts. I recall just being recovered from that, uh, redeemed from that lostness and how I just lay on the bed that night and just thanked God for his goodness. So when life is enriched by God's blessings, we are glad. When we make progress towards goals for the spirit, we rejoice. The joy of the Christian is sometimes overshadowed by temporal affliction, uh, but never destroyed. When we walk with God, as the psalmist says in Psalm 30, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So when a tough experience comes our way and it's challenging and it's hurting, Remember that weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning now that what that what that is meaning is that there is a time when joy shall fill our hearts again, because God wants us to know that great joy that He has for us, because joy is an emotion emotion, its intensity varies. At times, it may even be temporarily absent. But in Christ, we have a dependable source of renewal. Paul urges us, as we read earlier on, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, we'll have to sing that song once again, won't we? We'll we'll do a round as they used to do it years ago. And the prophet in Isaiah says, God is my salvation, I will trust. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. This is, sounds like a song coming there. The wells of salvation, that's true. And that is a song. We, we have a song with that. And again, those who are leading, there's another hint. Have, have that one as, as a song too. So uh, God is my salvation, I will trust. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. So when the hard times come, remember that God has not vacated you. He is still there. And he says that the time is coming when the weeping will stop and the joy will be overflowing. The disciple is a man of peace, peace with God, peace with other Christians, peace with his circumstances. Even though someone may be at war with him, he does not return it in kind. In contrast with Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are remembered for their faithfulness, Those two ladies we mentioned earlier in the scripture, Iodia and Syntyche, if that's how you say her name, they are mentioned for their disagreement. And it seems that uh, this was quite a serious problem in the church because uh, Paul actually mentions them by name and uh, mentions their problem and encourages the leadership of the church, hey, help these two ladies to lay the swords down, stop fighting, Um, and bring about some unity in the body. And it may have been that they had some profile in the church and were setting a bad example. And so Paul actually puts them on the mat and he says, come on, let's not do that. Let's love one another and care for one another. It's good to be reminded that there is companionship in the gospel. Each having the yoke of Christ involving men and women. It seems also that uh, these women uh, were also serving the Lord alongside of Paul, and Paul doesn't lose that fact. Just because there was a little problem happening, he doesn't throw them under the bus. But he says, hey, look, they are soldiers of the cross just the same as you are. So labourers and fellow workers for services is better together. Whatever our struggles and our service, our confidence is in God and that our names are written in the book of life. That is what is most important. Remember when the disciples were looking at these most remarkable buildings. And Jesus said, look, don't, don't look at those things. Just rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And here we're reminded of that again. Rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. No matter what comes our way, we have got that great joyfulness awaiting us that in our present state, our minds can't comprehend such greatness. Whatever the circumstances, rejoice in the Lord, Paul said. He had learned this and he urges others to do the same. Gentleness is commanded. Do not be harsh or unapproachable. The Lord's return is part of our motivation because when Paul encouraged them to, uh, to, you know, to be working with one another, he says, because the Lord is coming back again. And it would be a terrible thing for him to come back and find us uh, having squabbles with one another. We notice here that there is the spectrum of Christian life in chapter verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. First of all, it's mentioned unity, how important it is for unity in the body of Christ. I don't know if you uh, recall some years ago in politics uh, there was uh, a lot of turmoil, not that there's not turmoil today but there seems to be always turmoil but there was particular turmoil within the party and uh, some of the leaders of the parties were going around, uh, disunity is death. you remember remember them going around saying that on TV? Disunity is death, disunity is death. So reminding all the followers of their party. Stop squabbling. We're coming to the vote. Stop squabbling. So unity is so important, not just in politics, but in the Christian church. We need to be very careful that we maintain that loving connection with one another. And that brings about the unity that Paul was talking about. Then in verse 3, service. We are called not to sit on a shelf, but we're called to serve. We're called to find something that God wants us to do. And then in verse 4, there is the joy that comes with unity and service and that joy. And then in verse 5, there is a gentleness in which the Christian operates in life. So there's the, the spectrum of Christian life. It's unity and it's service and it's joyfulness. And it's gentleness, it's kindness. In the current times, uh, because there is a great deal of worry in the community, the Christian has an important healing influence. People are worried today. People are worried about their health. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about how they're going to pay the bills. They're worried that their plans in life have been disrupted. How can I cope with all this going on? This is what people in the community are thinking. And the Christian has a very important healing influence. As Paul demonstrated, while he was in that jail for a very long time, the stability of his faith and his joyfulness in God actually brought others to faith in Christ too. It was an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people are expressing these um, these real hurts, these real fears, I mean, we wouldn't want to. Um, Diminish the realness of them. And just as they are real in their fear in that sense, Christ is real in the hope that he can bring into their lives and the joy he can still bring into their lives. In verse 6, worried worry is answered and replaced by prayer. Prayer is to be filled with thanksgiving, which must reflect and encourage an attitude of gratitude. Verse uh, six, if you like to turn with it to me with me, do not be anxious about anything. Now there's a good challenge for us. We've got to set the example. Paul says Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What are we thankful for? Well, anyone like to throw something at me? What are we thankful for? Good health. Yeah, but I'm talking about in in terms when a when a trial comes our way, what are we thankful for? God is still on the throne? throne. Sorry? Exonerated? The air that we breathe? breathe. We're still alive, we're still above the ground? (laughs) Our eternal home? There's lots of things that we're thankful for. But are you thankful for that trial? Are you thankful for that tribulation? Are you thankful for that pain? What is it reminding you of? What are the trials and tribulations remind you of? Does not it remind you of the temporary nature of this world? Does not it remind you and give you great hope that the God who created all this world very good, he is also going to recreate it very good again? And that in due course, we are going to leave this world, just as everyone else will at some stage, and we will go to be with Jesus in heaven. And we will be walking in heaven, and we will be seeing the great things there. So worry is answered when Paul says in uh, in, in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. That that trial and tribulation that comes our way, don't be anxious about it, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So there I think today, my friends, is a great challenge for us that we in these current times have an important healing influence that we can express the joy of the love of God in the way in which we rejoice in everything in this world. So we might leave it there for this morning and um, let's be encouraged in what Paul is telling us. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. May God bless you as you go out into a worried world and that you might be encouraging to those who need encouragement. Thank you.